Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. This morning's scripture, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Day in and day out. Through the hard times, through the good times. Through providence and through pruning, Lord, we pray that you would help us to cling to you. That we would grow from hearing your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So this morning, we're in Job chapter 2. And there's some interesting things going on in this chapter. Um, And I'm both nervous and excited this morning. Because as we delve into this stuff, it gets real. I mean, it gets real. We see some spousal conflict. We see some pretty deep depression for an entire week. This is not an easy passage. But there's so much to glean. Starting in verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. May God add his blessing as we continue in worship this morning. A bit nervous when I put down Miss Rosa like that. See, the way that, that that's my guitar's name, by the way, Rosa. Um, so, well, a lot of guitars, not mine in particular, but a lot of guitars are made of rosewood. Yeah. No, I didn't because it's mahogany, because mine isn't rosewood. <laughs> so am I. Good morning. (sighs) Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing of fellowship. Not just on Sunday mornings, Lord, but the precious time we get with our friends, our loved ones, and those who point us nearer to you. God, we pray that as we delve into your word this morning, that it would speak to us. Pray that you would give me the words to say and that it would touch our hearts and lives this morning. 
In the precious and holy name of Jesus, the name above all names, we pray. Amen. Tough passage this week, huh? If you really sit down and think about it, there is a lot of rough stuff going on. Not just with the horrible situation Job is in, but now he's facing health problems and all of that turmoil is bubbling up into his relationship with his wife and it's really affecting the way that he lives. And we see that play out this week. But I want to remind you as we get into this, the overall theme that we're trying to pull from Job. We're not trying to sit here in the grief and the turmoil. We're trying to look at how we can be better at expressing our thankfulness and contentment to God through even the hardest of times. Job saw the best of times, right? He was, he was healthy, wealthy, and wise, as we like to say, yeah? But now, he's lost everything except for the wisdom part. His health, not so hot. His wealth, gone. He's left with his wife, who in this passage is not the best influence. A couple of his servants that managed to not die in the catastrophes and bring him back the bad news. And then his three friends who show up at the end of this morning's passage. Now, we kind of skipped over one of the parts that's interesting and controversial and causes a lot of questions. We kind of skipped over the part where Satan is in heaven and God's like, hey, you checked out my servant Job. He's one righteous dude. And so Satan is like, ah, he's not really all that righteous. He's just being thankful because you gave him all that stuff. And God's like, I don't think so. And Satan's like, okay, well, I'm going to take away all his stuff and then he'll forget you. God's like, okay, but you can't lay a hand on him. You can't touch him. So then Satan takes away all of his children and all of his worldly possessions. And Satan comes back and realizes that it didn't work. And he's like, ah, it just didn't work because you didn't let me like make him sick. God's like, okay, but I'm telling you, Job is a righteous guy. You can't kill him, but I mean, if you want to go for it, go for it. That is the, that is the CBV, by the way, the contemporary Brentley version. Uh, I encourage you go back and read it yourself. Um, but that is my summation of what happened. And so now we see Satan leaves God's presence. He's come back because he wants to bug Job some more and prove his point that people will leave God if they don't get all the stuff that they want. And this is what happens. So he goes out from the presence of the Lord, and now he is afflicting Job with painful sores. Some translations say boils, which if you're not familiar, they're basically like a really, really nasty infected pimple. Not fun quite painful, really gross. And it's to the point where it's all over him, head to toe, bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And so he's so desperate 
to get rid of these painful sores all over his body that he literally takes a broken piece of pottery and starts scraping at them. Yeah, ugh, right? I know, I know this is, this is not fun. Don't worry, I didn't, I didn't put any pictures of boils in my slideshow this morning. So for those of you with queasy stomachs, I did you that favor. We thank you for that. <laughs> it said that he was sitting on a pile of ashes, which I thought was kind of, you know, like the hot seat, right? But really, in, in that day, in that time, that would have been like going out and sitting on a dump because everything that you had that was trash would get burned up. And when you had things like animal fat and whatnot, you would take it out to the ash heap or the trash heap at the outside of town where all the dirty stuff would go. And so Job is just sitting on a big old dirty pile of ashes. I know, ew is right. Gross. And if you've ever really done anything with a campfire as far as cleaning it up and making sure that all the embers are out and you don't catch other things on fire that aren't supposed to be on fire, you know that ash can get everywhere. It's light, it's fluffy, and if you sneeze or if you step in the wrong space, there's just a cloud of dust everywhere. And he was sitting in that. And ash has another important representation as well throughout the Bible in regards to mourning or grieving. And that is that when you were mourning or grieving, you would tear your robes and you would put ashes on your head. And sometimes you would go out and you would sit on the ash heap. And that's what he's doing. He is doing all of the things to express his grief because he is absolutely miserable. He's lost everything except for his wife, the Lord, and those few servants. So he's out there sitting on this ash heap, sitting on a pile of garbage. And he's feeling like a pile of garbage. Now we see that his wife comes up and says, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I didn't think of it in this way, but when I was, when I was talking to my family saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be preaching this Sunday, my mom was like, you know, there's one thing that really sticks out to me about this passage with what Job's wife says to him. And it was the fact that when she said, curse God and die, that that's basically saying, why don't you just say, you know what, God, screw you and die and go to hell. Because... If you forsake God and then die, you're refusing his faithfulness. You're refusing his goodness. You're refusing who he is. It's almost insinuating that giving up on God would be better than all of the pain and suffering that they're facing in that moment. And sometimes that's how we feel at some part of us, right? Sometimes when we are going through the worst parts of our life, we feel drawn to give up on everything. That's hard. 
we just, during our time of prayer, had someone come up and share that there was a suicide in their family. That is a terrible reality. That is something that people feel and face on a regular basis. Now, I want to encourage you and I want to give you this resource um, just while this is on my mind and on my heart. Recently, the suicide prevention hotline did get a three-digit number. I believe it is 811. Yes, I'm seeing some nods. 811. So if you or anyone you know is in a very desperate situation and is feeling that way, there is now a three-digit emergency number instead of the 1-800 hotline that was an absolute mess to try and remember. It is 811. See, that's what I was thinking too in the back of my head. Maybe it's 881 then. It might be 881. Okay, go, go look it up, but it's a three-digit number now. Um, call before you dig as well. Uh, that's also bad. <laughs> Don't want to hit any, uh, any natural gas lines. So yeah, go, uh, go double-check that. Thank you. Oh. 988, okay. Someone looked it up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, 988. There we go. 988. Sorry about the confusion. I'm glad that we cleared that up. Call before you dig, and if you know anyone who is um, in an emergency, um, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we can smile, but uh, again, seriously, um, 988, uh, it's wonderful that they have been able to abbreviate that to an emergency number. So if you know anyone in that 988, um, way easier than the 1-800-whatever-safe-line was. So she's saying, curse God and die. Just give up on everything. Give up on it all. There's no point anymore. And I want to encourage you guys, even when it is hard, don't quit. Don't give up. There is more to life than the hard season that you're in. Jesus was described as a man of many sorrows, right? If life wasn't easy for Jesus, what makes us think that it's going to be easy for us? Got to hang in there. Don't quit. No matter how hard it gets. There, there are resources. There are people out there. I mean, Dan, our head pastor, is a counselor. And there's a reason for that. It's because there is value in that help and that assistance, in those resources. So I want to encourage you, if you are in a place where you need help, where you feel like you want to quit, there is help out there. So Job replies, and it can, it can seem harsh, but one, remember, remember what she just said to him, right? Curse God and die. And two, it, we're going to pick into this in a little bit, he doesn't actually come across as harsh as it might seem. He replies, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. I want to draw your attention specifically to this word, like. He's not calling her a foolish woman. 
He's saying, hey, this is not who you are. You're not some foolish woman. You know who God is. You know how good God is. Don't give up on that. Don't be like those foolish women out there. That's not who you are. I want to encourage you when times are tough to not give up on those around you, to see the best in them. See, sometimes when God's work is happening in our lives, it's easy to turn away. It's easy to say, whoa, man, this is getting hard. You got to move forward in trust instead of turning aside to fear. And like I said, sometimes God's way seems scary. Sometimes the world would even see it, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 over there on the side, as foolishness. Foolishness to the world is pursuing God. Foolishness as a believer is saying things like curse God and die. I want to encourage you in the hard seasons to pursue God, to chase after Him, to abide in Him, and to see the best in others around you. Job didn't just give his wife the smackdown. He said, hey, you're speaking like those foolish women out there, and that's not who you are. When times are tough, it's easiest to take it out on those we love and those who are close to us. I want to encourage you to try and step back as best as you can and not attack the people who you are closest to, who mean the most to you, who love you the most during those hard times when you want to quit. There's a balance in that. Yes, we feel hurt. But that doesn't justify hurting those around us. Yes, there's times where we feel like, oh, I want to give up. But there's so much more that God has in store for us than what you're going through in the tough seasons. So, word gets around, and Job's buddies hear about everything that he's going through. And I, I, I love this part of the story. His three friends, they all hear about the things that have happened to Job. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite. They hear about the troubles that have come upon Job. And so they set out from their homes and they meet together by agreement. And they go and they sympathize with him and they comfort him. So his three buddies, they all get together. And, you know, this was before you could pick up the phone and call. This was before you could set up a group chat and say, hey, we ought to go visit Job this week. There was none of that. They had to hear about it separately, get together plan, and then go together. The fact that they did that for their friend is awesome. And it's important to have good friends like that in your corner. I want to encourage you to seek out those people in your life 
Not only who would do that for you, but the kind of people who would do that for those around them. Not just yourself. It's easy to seek out people who are nice to you, right? But if you want to have true, good friendships, relationships, you want to have relationships with the kind of people, whether it's you or whether it's someone else, who would set aside what they've got going on and say, i got to go sit with my buddy Job for a few days. That's important. And those kind of friendships can be hard to find, right? Honestly, that's why I think things like Sunday school are so important. It can be easy to walk in to your 8.30 service, and as people are filtering in, coming in for Sunday school, you can kind of sneak out and nobody notices. But you're not going to build the deeper relationships. You're not going to build those connections if you're walking out the door before anybody gets to pick up your name. You're not going to get that. If you aren't willing to put yourself out there just a little bit and stick around, you're going to miss out. That's why things like Wednesday nights are also really good. I know that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on somebody from our church for a little bit. So if you guys are familiar with Mr. Isaiah Bartlett, I handed over the reins to him on a young adults group a couple summers ago. Um, we had taken a break from the middle school and high school and elementary school uh, Wednesday night studies, and so I started like a young adult thing. Um, and we use the term young adult loosely. It was pretty much anybody from like 16 to 40-ish. Um, and we just met up on Wednesdays, and we would just talk about the Bible and about life issues, and we hung out. And it was, it was awesome, and it was great. But as summer was coming to a close, I was like, hey, I've got to get back to running Wednesday night stuff with the kids. That's a big part of my responsibility as the associate pastor at Greenfield Baptist Church. I can't just leave that behind and stay with this young adult group. So if you guys want this to keep happening, somebody's going to have to take over. And Ike stepped up, and he's been running that group ever since. And on the Wednesdays when he can't be there, he you know picks out somebody or somebody volunteers and they rotate through. And so you don't hear about that group as much. I don't think it's quite as big as Dan's group. But there is a faithful few who meets up every single Wednesday, and they have their young adult Bible study. That's awesome. And the fact that they're able to come together and hang out and hold one another accountable and grow is great. And I can think of at least one young man who's not as outgoing, but who goes to that Wednesday night group faithfully. And that plugs him in and gives him some of that fellowship. That's awesome. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have something like a Sunday school, if you don't have something like 
a group of believers you meet up and go out to breakfast with on Saturday mornings. If you don't have something like that, I want to encourage you, get plugged in. That's what we're here for. It's not just about sitting down and opening up the Bible and having another lesson like school, which you graduated from back whenever, and you're thankful to be out of high school, right? We're all thankful to be out of high school, yes? Yeah. Well, I, 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 meant, as far as, I meant as far as the old people go. Yeah, I know. I want to encourage you to seek out that fellowship. So even though these are three of his, presumably, I would say, best friends, right? They've set aside all this time to come be with him. But it says they saw him from a distance and they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They joined Job in that mourning, in that grieving to the point where they tore their clothes. Now I want to remind you, this was back in the days before you could go to Walmart and buy a t-shirt for $3. Well, probably $5, but you know. This was when you would either have to make your own clothing or you would have to go and find someone who made clothing for a living and exchange it for something. And you didn't have a washing machine or a laundromat. So you might have like only three or four sets of clothing, you know, one for, for parties and festivals and your, your, your really nice one, and then you'd have like maybe two for your everyday use, and that might be all of the clothing that you had. So when you tore your clothes as a symbol of grieving, that was giving up on something valuable. And they did that for their buddy. They tore their robes and they sprinkled the dust on their heads, and they sat there with him. Now, not only did they sit there with him, but it says they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. When was the last time you sat in silence with someone. Right then, yeah? But seriously, not for just a couple of seconds, not even for the 15 seconds of awkward silence that might happen when, you know, you're at a restaurant and somebody drops a plate and the whole restaurant goes silent for just a moment and then the conversation picks back up. I'm talking real silence. That is something that we largely avoid in life. A song that I enjoy a lot and that came out when I was in college talks about how much we avoid that silence. It's called car radio. And the premise of the song is somebody stole the radio out of my car and now, when I'm driving places, I have to sit there in silence and actually sit with my thoughts, and that's uncomfortable. Why is it uncomfortable? Because a lot of people don't allow themselves to sit in silence anymore, Ken. 
We are constantly barraged with stuff. We have supercomputers sitting in our pockets constantly. We have access to things like the radio when you're in your car. When you're out and you are at the grocery store, there is always music playing because silence is uncomfortable for a lot of people. And so if you just sat there and you had to listen to people pushing their carts as the little wheels rolled and you heard the one caster that's a little bit wonky go as you're going through the grocery store, people would not enjoy that experience. And so you would go to a different grocery store next time. Silence is weird for us. Now, maybe not for everyone. I mean, Ken, Ken asked why, right? Maybe Ken is someone who's able to sit there in silence. If you're somebody who goes hunting, that might even be something that you are able to enjoy. I do see the value in it here. And I'll tell you why. In fact, I'll even advance my slide. How about that? They join him in his sadness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know that for myself, when I'm going through a hard time, it's easy to bend somebody's ear, right? It's easy to call your best friend and talk for a while. And sometimes your friend might give you some advice. Sometimes your friend might give you some encouragement. Sometimes they might just sit there and listen. And that's what his friends did for an entire week. They didn't speak out. They didn't give their two cents. They just sat there and let Job be sad. Now, after that week of letting Job be sad, they do give their two cents, every single one of them. And there's chapters of it. <laughs> yes, Ken, they, they kind of do. Uh, but they wait. They don't immediately put in their unsolicited advice. They don't immediately start shaming Job, saying, I can't believe that you're sitting here pouting and being sad. They let Job sit with it. And they sit with him in it. They joined him in his sadness and in his grief. They took the time to be there. And while it doesn't say that Job sat there and ranted about how he lost all of his things and how it made him so sad and how it made him so desperate. I have a hard time imagining there wasn't some of that going on. Now, he might have been so sad that he couldn't even speak for a week. That is possible. It doesn't give us those specific details. But I imagine, in my own little brain, that Job was probably sitting there telling his friends how he lost everything. How he was in great pain, both emotionally and physically, from all these boils that he's now covered in. About how his wife was spewing out these hateful and bad things. About how all he had was his servants, and it was probably his least favorite servants, you know, it, could, it couldn't even be the one that he was closest with. It had to be the, the guy who almost got fired when he was an intern. But, you know, it was his cousin's friend, and so he had to let him stay. We don't see those details. 
but they just sat with him and they listened. It's one of those things where, if you remember as a kid, you probably heard there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. They listened. And it reminded me of another verse. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. From the book of James, which I don't know if we're supposed to or allowed to have favorite Bible books, but that's one of mine if we are. If we're not, I love them all equally. Uh, I don't know if it's like parents or not. but I've always been drawn to the book of James because it's so practical. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. I want to encourage you to be a good listener, not only for your friends, but for yourself and for the Lord. I'm going to end this sermon in a slightly untraditional way. I am going to set a timer on my phone for 90 seconds, and we are going to sit in complete silence together for 90 seconds. After that, I will pray, and the worship team will come up, and we'll end the rest of it somewhat normally. But for 90 seconds, I am going to ask that we all be silent together and think about the things that the Lord is teaching us, think about the things that we're going through, and think about how we are feeling in life in general. Here we go. Survived your 90 seconds. Good job, everyone. And thank you for respecting me and humoring me in that. But I think oftentimes we don't let ourselves sit in silence. And I know 90 seconds isn't a long time, especially if you're going through something, right? If you're going through something hard, that's on your mind constantly. It's barraging you, and there is no escape from it. But if you're not going through something incredibly difficult, Sometimes you don't just sit there and think like, 
How am I feeling? What is God teaching me today? Um, you know, where am I at in life? Is there a sin struggle I need to be releasing? If you don't sit down and think about those things or let those things sit in your brain, it's easy to just make yourself so busy and get caught up and just forget about it. So if that was incredibly foreign to you, if that's something that you've never done, I want to encourage you to do that a little bit more often. And it doesn't have to be an incredibly long period of time. I'm sure you probably gained something from those 90 seconds if you weren't sitting here counting 90, 89, 88, 87. Boy, this is awkward. I hate this. Brentley, why are you doing this? 74, you know? I no, it wasn't. But, the, but I, do appreciate, I do appreciate you. Uh, one, there was a couple of times where I almost opened my eyes and hit the button on my phone to see how much there was left, but I didn't. I thought about it, though, because it is weird, especially standing here in front of like 100 people while everybody's sitting there with their thoughts and wondering why I'm making them sit with their thoughts, but I did not. Yeah, it's very lively air. There's a lot of tension. But if, if God brought something to your heart or to your mind, I also want to encourage you, as I pray and call the worship team up, that you can come to the altar. That's why Dan and I kind of stand here a little bit awkwardly in front of everyone as we sing the last song. It's so if God put something on your heart or on your mind, or if you feel called to give up something to the Lord, whether that's your life and your heart, whether that's a certain sin struggle, or whether it's just man, I need a hug and I need somebody to pray with me. That's why we stand up here at the last song every week. And so I want to encourage you, if something really came to your mind, if something's really sitting with your heart heavy this morning, come on down. That's what the altar's for. That's what we're here for. And you know what? If we're still praying or crying or hugging it out or whatever when the song's over, I'm sure one of the deacons could stand up and give a benediction and that we could go out and move on to Sunday school and that nobody would think twice about it. It's only awkward if you let it be, just like the 90 seconds of silence. So, I'm going to pray and we're going to wrap this thing up with some worship because, by golly, the Lord is good and He deserves our praise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the lessons that we can glean from silence and the joy that we can have from fellowship, from people who will sit with us, who will pray with us, who will take their time to hear us. Lord, I pray that you would help us be quick to listen and slow to speak this week and that we would be drawn nearer to you every day. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.